How's it going, everyone? Security Unfiltered, episode 35. So, you know, I I was going to post last week, um, but I've just been so crazy busy lately because I'm finishing up a course that I'm developing for the InfoSec Institute. Um, And on top of that, uh, my wife and I, one of our guinea pigs, died like two weekends ago. Uh, so that was, I mean, a bit surprising, you know, we obviously didn't expect that or anything. And then this past weekend, uh, a friend of mine, uh, passed away. So that was extremely unexpected as well. So, I mean, it's just been a really busy time for me the past couple of weeks because I'm wrapping up, you know, some side projects and whatnot. And then all this other, you know, deaths, uh, Really, I just needed a break, you know? Um, And so, you know, this week we're just doing a news episode. I am working on getting uh, some guests together to do some interesting interviews for you guys. I think that you guys enjoyed, um, you know, really more of like the the pen testing one where we go deep kind of into a topic and uh, things like that. So I, I do plan on getting more pen testers in. Uh, that are well known in the industry that, you know, people uh, like myself have, you know, potentially even looked up to uh, in the past to try and model their own careers and skill sets off of. So for this week with the news, uh, we're going to be talking about a couple more like articles than we normally do. Um, And I, I think that this provides like a pretty good basis, this first one that we're going to take a look at. So the first one is an article found at Dark Reading, and the title is More Than 10,000 Cybersecurity Professionals Have Earned the ISC Squared CCSP Cloud Security Certification. So, you know, I can definitely speak to this. I have the certification and I earned it, I want to say back in January of 2020. And I mean, the test was hard as hell, you know. I thought that it was really, really difficult, um, especially for it being my first ISC squared certification. Um, you know, that like I wasn't used to how ISC squared really asked the questions. And that is definitely something that, you know, plays a factor when you're taking these different certifications from different vendors. Uh, you'll be asked questions different ways. Questions will be phrased in different ways. Um, you know, there was a lot of questions. Almost every question was probably a paragraph long. And most of the, most of the question was there to like trick you, intentionally trick you. Um, which was, which was, you know, frustrating. Um, but I mean, it's also a part of the game, right? And so I think it's interesting that they bring this up, you know, more than 10,000, People have earned this certification. Um, you know, honestly, the way that things are going right now with cloud security, we need like 10 times that. <laughs> I mean, really, we really do. Um, and I, I think that it is a bit of a newer certification. You know, people are starting to figure out that cloud is the way that everything is going and and that they're really that they're on-premise data center like, uh, experience or knowledge isn't really going to be sufficient when, 
when you're going into the cloud because I think I think a part of the hesitancy for people initially, you know, earning like cloud certifications or getting that knowledge was that, well, I've been doing IT for 10 plus years and I'm totally fine with my skill set. And so all of that will just translate over into, into the cloud because you're telling me that this Microsoft SQL server is just going to live in the cloud. Like what's, what does that matter to me? What there's no difference in how I would manage it. Well, when you actually get the knowledge, you know, there is different ways that you're going to manage it. There, there is plenty of different controls that you need to know about. You need to know how to configure it, when to configure it, uh, all those different things. And it can absolutely be vendor specific, even, you know, deploying SQL in GCP is more than likely going to be a bit different um, than deploying it in Azure or AWS or any anything else, right? And so it's it really is critical for people, in my opinion, you know, the way that I went about it was I got the CCSP first, and that was my very first cloud certification. I studied for it for probably a year, um, and I felt that that was like a really good foundation. And I know everyone is going to say, well, the CCSP isn't meant to be a foundational type of certification. You should have gotten something like the AWS CCP or something like that um, before you can, you know, go after more advanced certs. And you know what? You're you're probably right. Like, I, I probably didn't go about it the correct way, but, you know, going about it the way that I did, um, I feel like I'm extremely comfortable with that with that information base now. And really, the reason why I feel like I'm so comfortable with it is because when you're starting from, I, I don't want to say nothing, because I definitely had IT experience and security experience. Um, you know, to get these certifications, you have to have five years of security, like dedicated security experience in order to actually earn the certification so you can pass the test. And if you don't have the uh, the required experience for that certification, they will literally say, we can put you into an associate level certification, which is different from, from earning the actual certification. Or you can, you know, retry when you have the experience, but good job passing. Like, that's literally what they will tell you. That's literally your only two options. And so, you know, I had dedicated security experience uh, when I was taking the taking the test. There's no question about that. But, you know, I didn't have any like cloud focused experience. And at the time, you know, I wanted to get into the cloud. And so I figured the best way to make that jump from IAM slash endpoint security slash, you know, network security was to actually start getting cloud certs, which is absolutely the right way to go ahead and do that when you're trying to make the jump. And, uh, you know, so I started studying for the certification and I mean, it's difficult. Like I said before, like it's very difficult. It really is. Um, but I feel like, you know, not getting the typical foundational cloud certifications, you know, before going after the CCSP really forced me to like ingrain this information into me. 
you know, because I knew that I needed to know it to a greater degree, right? And I feel like if I had some of those other certifications, I don't think it would have hurt me necessarily, but I think that it would have put me in the mental space of, oh, I don't need to pay attention to to this. I don't need to pay attention to service models. I don't need to pay attention to, you know, all these other, you know, different aspects that foundational certifications uh, really drill in. I don't need to pay attention to those. And then I would miss points or easy questions on the CCSP exam because I didn't really review them like I should when I was studying for the CCSP. So I, I hope that makes sense. But, you know, the CCSP is extremely valuable because the information that they teach you in that exam or through that, you know, certification prep is, you know, really globally used across all clouds. You know, they're they're having the same service models, they're having the same deployment models and all that sort of stuff. They're talking about, you know, security in the cloud regardless of the cloud vendor or the cloud provider. And that's critical to understand because the basics or the the foundation of what you you know what you deploy in the cloud to secure it or your security controls in the cloud are going to be the same regardless of what cloud they reside in. Now, what do I mean by that? Is you know when you're trying to secure data, when we're talking about data security, you, there's there's different principles around data security in the cloud that you'll want to follow no matter what cloud provider you're in. How you implement those, those policies, how you implement this knowledge will vary between cloud provider. And that's why you get those cloud provider specific certifications, or at the very minimum, that's why you study and get the experience in that cloud provider so that you can take these you know foundational principles of data security, for instance, which would be you know, encryption, IAM, um, deploying like a just-in-time access even, deploying MFA, things like that. So you're taking that and you're, you're taking that knowledge and you're moving it into the cloud and you're putting it into that environment with, you know, whatever tools that cloud provider provides to you to implement that sort of security in your environment. You know, that's, that's really what it is. And so, you know, it's it's great for this article to call out like, you know, over 10,000 people have earned it. Oh, the certification was introduced or released in 2015. So it's great that it calls it out, but I'm going to be completely honest. I mean, we need we need a lot more. We really do. At the very minimum, um at the very minimum we need people that have the knowledge that is, you know, drilled into you when you're studying for that certification. I, I say it a lot with the CEH certification is, you know, you don't have to go and pay for the test and actually get the cert. You, you don't have to, right? But you need to know absolutely everything in that certification. And so I'm not telling you, you know, if you're in security, you need to go get your CCSP. That's actually not what I'm telling you. I'm saying that it will, it will only help you. It will only benefit you to do something like that um, because you're broadening your skill set. You're making yourself more marketable to the 
you know, to the workforce, to the different companies that are going into the cloud that don't have CCSP certified professionals. I'll tell you right now, I've been at several companies since I got my CCSP and nine times out of 10, I was either the only one at that company, regardless of size, irrespective of size of the company. I was either the only one at the company uh, with that certification or maybe there was two or three other people, maybe at the very most. So what does that tell me? You know, and all of these companies were going straight into the cloud, right? Like they were going hard into the cloud. So what does that tell me? You know, you have teams that don't have the proper skill set, that don't have the proper training, potentially don't even have the proper mindset because they may not even be in security and they're deploying assets into the cloud for your environment. So that tells me right offhand that whatever they're doing is most likely going to be insecure. Even if they think that they're setting it up in a secure manner, you know, the cloud is a very expansive, broad environment. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can do something to obtain the same result. And so, you know, what I'm what I'm saying by this is that they may think that they're, you know, encrypting their data properly, but when you look at it, it's like, oh, we're using we're we're encrypting the data from keys that are residing in that cloud environment. You know, that's that's a huge issue. And that is something that the CCSP drills into its its candidates that, you know, are preparing for the exam. So that is really, I think that's all that, you know, I need to drill on um, with this article. You know, I, I like dark reading. I like the website. I like the, the sources, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think it's a great, great site that everyone should be going to. So the next one that I want to talk about is on CRN.com. Um, this one is just talking about the Azure Cosmos DB vulnerability. It's titled Microsoft Azure Cosmos DB vulnerability allows manipulation of customer data. And so this actually happened back in August. I, I believe it was. August uh, 12th around there and I was going to actually you know do a do a podcast episode on this earlier but you know everything started happening and uh, I just got a little bit busy and bogged down with it so I just couldn't really gather my thoughts on it if that makes sense so we'll just go ahead and talk through it uh, right now so from what I understand with Azure Cosmos DB you know, Azure or Microsoft at one point in time added a feature that was enabled by default for everyone that was an Azure Cosmos DB customer. And there was a zero day flaw with this uh, feature that allowed for attackers to do privilege escalation attacks to get their hands on the on the primary keys, uh, you know, to Cosmos DB. So, Really, what this what this means is that you know when you're getting access to the primary keys or the storage access tokens, and you have full admin rights in Cosmos DB, um, they were able to actually escalate 
to like the the host Cosmos DB or the you know the much larger or broader Cosmos DB that then provides all of the services to you know an account's Cosmos DB and whatnot, right? Because it's a cloud service, so there's going to be a hierarchical um, architecture where you have one main service that services all of the accounts on this you know specific hardware or whatever. You're going to have a management plane. That's really what it's referring to. You're going to have a management plane for the Cosmos DB service. And if anyone ever gets into that management plane, that shouldn't be, they can read all of the customer data, regardless of if it's encrypted or not. Um, well, I, there is a caveat that, that I want to discuss with that. Um, but they'll be able to read all the data. They can download it, export it, you know, really everything like that, which is not good. Um, and the only way that you'd be able to protect yourself from an attack like this is to really encrypt your data that's in Cosmos DB with an encryption key before the data is ever sent to Azure to be put into Azure, you know, Cosmos DB. And, you know, a lot of customers don't do that, honestly, because they don't have the trained professionals that know like, hey, this is when we need to be encrypting it. We should be encrypting it with this. This key needs to be stored over here. It should never touch Azure. Um, and, you know, that would mo more than likely uh, resolve this vulnerability regardless of there being a zero day attack or not, right? Because at that point, the attackers would only be able to download or export all of your encrypted data, it's going to be encrypted and they won't have the encryption key unless they breached whatever architecture you put your encryption key into. You know, and, and I do want to point out that Microsoft sent out notifications to all the customers that are impacted and that they did their own research and whatnot and they didn't find this vulnerability being actually exploited in the wild against any of their customers. So, I mean, there's that, right? Like, that is pretty good <laughs> that it it hopefully wasn't exploited or anything like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really important that that customers are not just aware of how to deploy or, or what security controls to deploy in the cloud provider, right? But it's very critical for them to have the skill sets to actually deploy those controls in the cloud provider. Because Azure is different from AWS. Even though I got the AWS Security Specialist certification, it's a very difficult certification to get, really. Like, it's a very difficult test. Um, that, that doesn't translate into Azure. Like, it doesn't. I need to go get an Azure certification if I really want to know Azure inside and out. You know, that's that's where you're able to actually prove your knowledge and, and everything like that. So it's it's very important, you know, to keep that in mind when you're building out these cloud security teams or trying to get into cloud security or whatever it might be, that getting, you know, these these key certifications will be, you know, critical in your career progression within cloud security. And also another article that uh, I want to kind of just quickly touch on is on thehackernews.com. And it is titled, Microsoft Releases Patch for Actively Exploited Windows Zero Day Vulnerability. 
So, you know, this happened, I think, last week. Should have been last week. Where, you know, in their patch Tuesday, Microsoft patched um, what looks to be, you know, a few different zero days um, that allegedly were not actively exploited in the in the wild. Uh, but, you know, they patched those vulnerabilities. You know, some of it was with DNS manipulations um, and, you know, a few different other things, privilege escalation attacks and whatnot. But, you know, I mean, I mean, Microsoft has had a tough year when it comes to uh, security, it seems, right? Like they had the printer issue, they had the Azure Cosmos DB issue, they had one that I'm that I'm not thinking of right now. Um, I mean, it's it is kind of crazy that that there's so much of it out there that, you know, is vulnerable and whatnot. But I wonder, I wonder how much is out there that's vulnerable or how many zero days are out there that, you know, we just simply don't even know about um, because they haven't been exploited or found yet, right? Like, that's the huge risk with all technology. And the next one that we're going to talk about is on TechCrunch.com. And this one is titled Apple Patches and NSO Zero Day Flaw Affecting All Devices. So from what I understand with this zero day vulnerability is that it affects basically everything that runs Apple's OSs. So the iPhone, the iPad, the Mac, the Apple Watch. Uh, it's kind of cr- kind of crazy, um, but... You know, when you have one OS that is kind of, you know, created in different flavors of itself to, you know, run all of your devices, which a lot of companies do, you know, like it's not like it's anything new. Right. But when you have an architecture that is set up a certain way or a software that is set up a certain way and you deploy it across everything, then when a zero day is discovered in the iPhone, a lot of the times that same zero day can be exploited on the MacBook and the iPad and your watch and, you know, potentially any other devices that you have, you know, connected and whatnot. You know, and one thing with this vulnerability or this zero day was that it was actually found to be exploited in the wild. Um, It was actually found to be exploited on a Saudi activist uh, iPhone that was running the latest version of their software at the time. And, you know, it, it somehow made its way past all of the different controls that Apple has in place on their devices. And, you know, to a lot of hackers out there, that's, they're going to say, oh, that's nothing new or anything like that. Right. But, you know, when a zero day just skirts past all of the protections and gives you like full kernel access to the, to the device, uh, you know, that's a big deal. That's definitely something that you want to look at. And from what I understand, the vulnerability is, you know, someone puts a a piece of spyware into a text message and they send it to the user. Um, and there, there's nothing that the user needs to do to actually initiate the attack. As long as that message is sent to the iPhone and it's received, the attack is started, I guess, from what I understand. Um, And I I could be a little bit off on that, but, 
you know, that's just my understanding of it. But, you know, that that's huge, right? Because like we're always telling our users, you know, don't click on links that you don't know, don't open things that you don't expect or, you know, whatever it might be. And then we have a vulnerability where it doesn't even matter if you don't click on it, right? Like, or it doesn't matter if you don't tap on it on your phone, like you're already compromised. And it was able to, you know, track all of the devices, data, all of the key inputs, all of the keystrokes, you know, everything that uh, the person browsed on the device, like it was fully compromised, you know. So that's that's definitely a huge thing that, you know, if you have <laughs> if you have an Apple device, uh, you absolutely need to be updating that thing like immediately. And really, you know, I, I think that that's all that I have for this week's news episode, guys. Um, you know, as always, I, I really appreciate everyone, you know, reaching out and, and downloading the episodes and, and whatnot. You know, it's it's always good to see that I, I get some sort of engagement uh, from you guys. And I'm trying to do a better job of, you know, reinforcing that engagement, right, through through getting a Reddit, a subreddit together, through posting on Twitter so that we can have a more real-time conversation and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do all of that. I just need to get done with these side projects. And then the rest of the year, I'm going to spend, you know, doing the podcast, doing my day job, and just playing video games, <laughs> to be quite honest. So, as always, guys, if you enjoy this episode, go ahead and leave a review. Uh, please go ahead and share it. Make sure that you download uh, the episode, those three things are really the best, most major ways that you can support the podcast because it shows, you know, all these different algorithms that you guys are enjoying the content and they'll promote that content higher in their algorithm. So thanks guys. Hope you guys have a great week. Thanks. Bye.